Hi, everyone. Welcome to yet another amazing brand new episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm your show host, Navi Jaswal, and we have a, a wonderful um, vegan entrepreneur here today with us, my dear friend, Palak Mehta. Palak, welcome. You're joining us from India. Palak's the founder of Vegan First and founder and CEO of Vegan First, and she's the founder of the Vegan um, India Conference, which is an amazing event that if you don't know about, then you got to find out more about it and, and be there uh, for whenever it's happening in 2022. But we'll dive uh, into all of that and more. Um, Palak, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, me Navi. And it's always such a pleasure to talk to you. And I'm really looking forward to this. Perfect. All right. So let's dive right into it. Um, Palak, tell us, how did you go vegan? <laughs> well, it's been, a, it's been a journey and um, every time I get asked this question and it's never boring, you know, so, um, well, uh, to make it really short, I think when I was in grade 10, uh, my friend, my best friend at the time, ironically, her name, her name was also Palak. So uh, here in India, we have a lot of cultural beliefs uh, about, and we are largely vegetarian or so we are believed uh, to be vegetarian. Uh, it's not something new to us. So uh, once, um, but I'm raised and born and brought up in a Punjabi family in North India, where you know meat is really celebrated and it's seen as this um, sign of health and vitality, which is very unfortunate. But well. I was in grade 10 at the time and we were um, out on a summer vacation and, you know, we, uh, I ordered a, uh, a plate of chicken momos for myself and uh, yeah, and I was, because I've, I've eaten meats by birth, right? So, um, and I, and she asked, and I was ordering two plates, one for me, one for her, when she asked me uh, not to order that plate. She said, hey, you know, uh, order vegetarian for me instead and that was the first time when i realized that uh, i was kind of shocked i was taking aback i said why why are you why are you eating vegetarian food eat properly <laughs> you know we have like um, i'm ordering a piece of delicious momos oh, why would you miss out on chicken momos and that's when she said that no no i've decided to go vegetarian for a month and that was the first time as a child that it hit me that i had the power to choose what i want to put in my mouth I did not even realize until then that I could decide to eat what I wanted to eat. I was shocked because this was a person who has been non-vegetarian with BB, gone together a lot of times, always eaten non-veg. And suddenly if she could choose to quit a particular food, uh, food group, that was shocking and very revealing at the time. Um, as a child, I used to, you know, whenever we used to get this butter chicken and gravy, it's one of India's most celebrated dishes. So I used to always eat the curry, but leave the leave the meat pieces. So I never really liked it anyway, but you know, I did not know that I had a choice. Now that was one of my earliest, uh, you know, instances when I realized that, hey, I had a choice. But then um, soon after, uh, when I tried to cook meat back then, my folks told me, where will you get your protein? Where are you going to get all your vitamins from? So don't even think about it. And I started eating meat again. Now, life went on and uh, I turned, um, I went dairy free briefly when I 
you know, I did not really understand veganism fully back then uh, in college. Um, but then again, you know, and for health reasons, I just thought it's better to avoid dairy. But then um, I, I went back to having dairy. Um, I might have, I think I had quit meat at the time. But again, it was very, you know, it was conditional. I was not very serious as much about it. And then uh, when I, but then I had attended this Reiki session where Dr. N.K. Sharma was talking about the prana and the energy, you know, of things and how you measure them. That's when he explained, he had a fruit in his hand and he said, hey, listen, see, think about the aura this, this fruit might have and think about the aura for dead flesh or dairy. And that's when I quit meat and I quit dairy as well, but I did not uh, know about the ethical reasons. You know, so meat was off my plate. I anyway did not like it. Dairy, it was a little struggle at the time. And I'm talking about, uh, you know, almost 10 years ago. So um, then a few years later, uh, you know, I met um, Monji, who's a humanitarian. And he started sharing these videos. Uh, you know, he's uh, started sharing these videos of uh, calves getting abandoned and, um, you know, really how, how, cows are really ill-treated now i was in a state of shock almost because once you saw when when i saw where my milk is coming from i never realized that you know this was somebody else's body and you know you were violating it basically and their natural human rights or birth rights um when i say human rights i mean rights of beings on earth um so when i realized that i made the connection i instantly decided to go vegan now this was a while back around seven years seven years ago seven to eight years ago and it was pretty challenging to go vegan back then in india so um but how do you unsee something that you have seen you know it's 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 really difficult to go back from there so and uh, and you know he Mohanji was relentless he wouldn't stop sharing the videos so Every time I would see this, I wanted to share the videos with the whole world, but I felt like a hypocrite. I said, if I'm not doing it, no matter how difficult it is, I have really no right to tell other people about it. And that was it. That was the start. And um, I was here in Pune. I was teaching in a school. I started Googling things. How do I go vegan? And, uh, you know, one by one by one, it was a journey. And then finally. Yeah. Wow, thank you so much, you know, and from one Punjabi to another, you know, <laughs> it's like, uh, I was told, oh, come on, your hometown is the home of butter chicken, you yeah. know, and uh, so I'm from Ludhiana, by the way, and then, you know, you know, pro probably, you know, how that city works is like, uh, people would mock at you if you even said that you're vegan or that you're not going to have chicken or meat or, you know, eggs or, you know, dairy. And, and even now, you know, whenever I'm back, uh, you know, at home, it's like, are you sure? Are you sure you don't want just one? And, and they'll, you know, try to test your boundaries and, and uh, really sort of check if, you're committed to this or not and and want to understand what are the reasons that you're committed to it is it health is it something else you know do you really feel that sorry for the animals you know i've been asked those questions and and uh it, it's been you know very interesting trying to navigate uh that entire milieu not just within the larger you know uh, subcontinent of uh, south asia but also specifically within the micro culture of you know <laughs> job and and this whole thing of it's taken for granted where is your protein going to come from and you know um and, and if you don't eat meat and so on um but tell us about mohanji because it sounds as though he's played a very big role in your life um, in helping you make that 
connection as you spoke uh, about that. And um, tell us about him. He, it sounds as though he's a, a humanitarian, is a humanitarian. He's a vegan himself, um, and he may have even, uh, you know, inspired the creation of your, uh, you know, work. So, so tell yeah. us a little bit about him. Well, you know, um, so when I turned vegan, uh, necessity is the mother of all inventions. And I realized that uh, how do I actually sustain myself in going vegan? And that's when I realized let's just create. It was so difficult for me to go vegan or, and um, do all of that back in back eight years ago in India. So uh, that was the birth of vegan first. And we decided, hey, let me just make a platform for vegans, uh, you know, I mean, honestly, Moji said, why are you thinking India? Go global, you know? So <laughs> he was very clear about it from the start. I took his blessing. I said, um, you know, I want to do something here for the animals. And also, um, you know, it's just very difficult to transition to a, a diet or a lifestyle like this. There is dearth of information. So um, he gave me his blessing. And, uh, you know, I consider myself as, I consider him as my spiritual master, although, um, you know, for first, who is Mohanji? It's, it's very difficult to say because he's different people do different, uh, different things to different people, right? So any um, anybody who is at that state is uh, truly like a mirror, you know. So some people I know when they see Mohanji, they see a best friend. Some people see a father. Some people see a guru. Some people see a humanitarian. And he doesn't really stick to a frame. You'll see him walking in jeans one day, and then you know tomorrow in a typical Indian attire and um, he doesn't uh, I mean I've seen people who connect because they connect to Jesus Christ and they connect to uh, Mohanji but some people who connect to Guru Nanak Ji but some people who don't connect to any particular form of God they just believe in uh, higher values like selfless service or humanity so I think um, his main aim is to just bring more and more light to people by helping them realize themselves and that's a tall order <laughs> but um so so that's what you know he says and uh that's that was the whole thing when i met him back in college i was a very different person um i was still me i still always been me all along um i'm pretty sure i have a mind of my own i have my own thoughts but at the same time um you know the lack of self-acceptance that we have as human beings we have some basic things which are missing in our own fundamentals that is you know trying to understand who we are or um are we uh, do the concepts that we have are these concepts uh, cultural co concepts or are these concepts or expectations from other people or is this truly who we are so i think when i was in college i started questioning what is my purpose on earth you know uh, that was my, I couldn't go to bed. That was as simple as that. It was really difficult. And that's when finally, I, after, you know, one, I think one continuous year of churning, I ended up meeting Mohanji. And, um, you know, since then, it's just been amazing. Um, I definitely feel that it's, there's life before Mohanji and there's life after, because you just get closer to your own consciousness, to, to your own inner self, and you just get clarity you know, from within, and that's what he empowers you to do anyway. So he will show you as a mirror. So for me, I think veganism became very important. And I said that I want to start a community for uh, people who want to go vegan. And um, that was the aim. And to also spread awareness. So awareness, alternatives, and support was our aim. And he said, he suggested the name vegan first. And he said, you know, go bless you. And that was about it. Um, and that's the thing. I mean, 
it was really tough honestly but i think that's uh, you know and it's not like um you know i had huge funding or i had a lot of support or anything of that but i think uh, that's also where i felt moji's blessing really came handy because um you know you you start really believing in yourself and you start really going through the fire and the process and um any business for that matter if it's mission oriented right um everybody so many times thinks of shutting down when the going gets rough right but at the end of the day um in the beginning in the early years we used to struggle a lot you know now of course it's different and we've grown a lot and we're doing a lot of other things as well but in the early times it was just very difficult because um not just to sustain but to even influence people in the right way right so every time you get disheartened you get disappointed you feel hey should i be even doing this um i was a practicing sculptress and an artist and a teacher and i was doing really well for myself so i was like um do i still need to go through all of this you know um but uh, at the end of the day the question was that who are we doing it for yeah not for me it's not for success it's not for my personal ego it's not for showing it's not to show business evaluations to investors it is also not to um you know maybe impress somebody or even at the end of the day for a client or a reader at the end of the day this is for animals you know so if we if we stop talking we just have no alternative uh so and it was tough you know navy because i saw my competitors shut down all of them in front of me uh when i say competitors i mean like minded magazines in the country we had to figure out ways to survive we were really criticized sometimes sometimes we were really admired sometimes we had so many emails we couldn't reply to them and we always had limited resources in the beginning um i've had investors tell me to my face in the beginning saying please change your name from vegan first to health first you know um we are very happy to fund this project and we said wow. no that's not the yeah yeah this was the first thing when uh, when i started on this because i was i was not into corporate at all and this was social entrepreneurship but i was very clear that i don't want to make it um you know um i don't want to make it uh, an ngo because i want we wanted to change the narrative we wanted people to take it more seriously and not just take it as another uh, venture where you just want to donate and it's charity and if you want to go vegan uh, you know there is no if here like you have to do it this is a lifestyle so um so yeah that was that was the narrative long back and um i think oh, that's what moji's guidance you know saying that no no you're doing the right thing gave me a lot of stability more than anything else i think that's what was good, great and um then honestly i think it's just that you know when you when you have the right intention and you give it out even when we took uh, we did the vegan india conference it was the first time that you know we opened the gateways uh, of course there were some events which had happened on smaller scales here in india but um, it was it was we had an intention and people approached us and it was suddenly that the whole world opened up you know to india the first physical event which happened it was a very huge jump for us but that's that's the thing i think it it was not that you know we had it all figured out we we had an intention but um when we started putting the word out the response that came in it was amazing and when you give out yourself to a social cause people themselves come to help you out yeah so that's the whole beginning of vegan first yeah thank you so much for sharing that and and about the 
you know, the impact and the influence that Mohanji's guidance uh, seems to have had on you and your purpose in life. You spoke about how self-acceptance is really important and, and how that journey was for you for an entire year. And, and then you, you know, you took charge and you said, well, this is what I'm going to do. And, and, and you've done it. Um, so you've launched Vegan First and, and you say it's a global publication portal, your one-stop solution of going vegan and curate um, all things vegan under one digital platform. Um, and then after the first year that it was an in-event, uh, in-person event, uh, the pandemic hit. And, and then you had to really think about how to pivot. So, so tell us about your journey um, around pivoting and needing to still you know, stay true to your ideals and want to bring this major event to the world, not just to India, and, and to actually choose to go virtual. How is that, how is that like? You know, you won't believe it. The struggle for me, for us, was before the pandemic, not during it or after it. Okay. Because uh, it was during the before the pandemic where we did not get people who were receptive, where we were always, uh, you know, stressed out either, you know, how do we make people more receptive? That was that was that was more painful than anything else. You know, mm -hmm. pandemic. Yes, uh, I think commercially, everybody was, uh, you know, um, facing issues. So that was still OK. That was because we, we knew that this is the way it's figure outable. But we were at our best during the pandemic because people were so receptive. So we were really excited as a team. It was one of the best years for us, uh, readership wise. And we have curated some of the best content at the time. We could influence so many people to actually go vegan at the time. Um, literally thousands and thousands, maybe lakhs of people, you know, at that time were reading our content and they actually have messaged us saying that we have shifted a diet and lifestyle um, during that time. So um, I know that the pandemic was really tough for people, uh, you know, and I know for businesses, so many businesses have actually shut down during this time. But um, our mission was always to help people, you know, choose a conscious lifestyle. And the, the pandemic actually helped us do that because it was really shaking people. Now, when it came to pivoting your strategy, right? So um, we were holding physical events. How do we do it, um, you know, online? Um, so we in 2020 we did not have an event at all because we had actually booked a physical space we had done, done everything I had gone to the extent of training the hotel chef it was one of the best hotels in india and everything but then uh, this happened and this was after waiting for six months so um uh, that was not as disappointing but uh, what was what was more disheartening was the second wave it mm -hmm. hit india in such a massive way such a massive way that um and everybody around was just so depressed. Maybe I did not even care if uh, online uh, conference would have been popular or not, but just to clean the air, we needed to do it. So honestly, we did it at the time because we always wanted, we thought we will be able to pull off an online event, but we're still thinking, hey, should we still go back to that experience? But um, at the time, it, it was just so morose and so, um, it was really depressing. So we said that, hey, let's just go do an event anyway, because, you know, if we just keep looking at negativity and staring it in the face, nothing's going to change anyway. Plus, we need to uh, spread this awareness. And um, it was very, we had very less time. So we organized that event 
um, you know, within 30 days, uh, mostly, and in a very small team. But we just uh, went ahead and did it anyway, uh, because anyway, we had to do it. But we, I mean, I personally was very motivated. In fact, I struggled to even explain it to my team why this event was important, because everybody was in different cities in India at that time. And the second wave has just hit us. So, um, so yeah, but, but luckily, I think, um, it was marvelous. Uh, we still get a lot of feedback. There were a lot of uh, a lot of people went vegan. Businesses were generated. Uh, thanks for showing the stats. We got thousand people to actually attend it seriously back to back. Uh, they went for us for all over four days. So <laughs> I think four days was just a celebration, and uh, it just brought so much joy, you know, and meaning. And that was truly the whole aim. Um, to help businesses, uh, to help, uh, you know, uh, open doorways, but also to lighten people up. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I remember um, given some, you know, personal losses that I've experienced in the pandemic as well. I uh, was there to pick up my mom, you know, when the second wave had just started. And I, I just wanted her to, you know, what I felt was bring her to safety and, and you know, bring her here to the US um, and, and that wouldn't have been really like the you know port of call for anyone to be uh, back in the first wave because the US got hit pretty hard and, and the world was shutting down to us. Um, and, and then India did well by you know it, it, um, calling lockdowns and, and so on early on in March. I remember March 22nd or 24th was the first time when India went into a lockdown. Um, but then things started to open up and, well, we had the Delta variant, you know, and, and that really uh, hit India hard. And it, it obviously was, a, you know, a global crisis at that point in time and everyone knew what was going on. Um, and, and having participated in, in your conference, um, you know, uh, Palak, I could definitely sense that there was this, um, you know, urge and uh, almost like this this energy, this feverish energy in the audience, um, whether they were lifestyle medicine professionals or just, you know, medicine people, like people in the medical profession or healthcare providers in India, or they were uh, students or, or they were just like regular, you know, people, they just were desperate to understand what can they do for their immunity and if veganism is the way to build their immunity to somehow, you know, uh, protect them than they wanted to find out. So it seems like, um, you know, COVID-19 has changed certain health and food behaviors in India. And, uh, you know, if, if I can, you know, and I use those words carefully, but if there can be a silver lining to what the world is going through at this point in time, it's it's the rudest waking wake up call. Uh, but as long as there is some waking up that is happening, um, you know, especially in a place like India, where population density tends to be a huge problem. And, and that's the one, you know, uh, criteria for this uh, uh, virus to continue to propagate. So tell us a little bit about, you know, uh, what's what's the mood in India at this point in time, when, uh, when it comes to health oriented behaviors, people wanting to understand more about immunity, and how might that have changed the narrative and the dialogue that you guys are interacting with at this point in time with your audiences. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Nivi, you've just got the pulse absolutely right. You know, the thing is, and that's what I said, you know, we, uh, of course, it was really difficult for us uh, as well, the whole 2020, 2019. 
uh, you know, those years were, were really challenging. But at the same time, you know, we were thriving on creating awareness because of heightened receptivity. And, uh, you know, that was, um, and that's what I still see today. More and more people have so many more. So veganism got a huge push. See, in India, uh, and you, you're an Indian, so uh, you totally understand. Everybody is either a fan of cricket or Bollywood, you know. So Virat Kohli turning vegan was great. Then Akshay Kumar turning vegan, or you know, another celebrity going vegan was just epic. And uh, that's what definitely that's when we saw thought, you know, veganism is taking off. You know, very very early, very nascent stages. You know, we we saw the sprouting of something. But when after COVID happened. After that, there was just, you know, there was no, no, no ifs and buts anymore. So now you do, you see vegan options at so many more restaurants. You see people not mocking at you anymore. And because I think that more than anything else and more than even activism or sensitivity, sensitivity towards animals, I think preventive healthcare, the yeah. amount of money that has gone into preventive healthcare as an industry, you know, um, has taken uh, a lot of push globally, not just in uh, India for that matter, right? And um, veganism is highly, highly um, renowned in that area. Vegan, uh, a whole food plant-based diet for that matter is, you know, is one of the main uh, is one of the main reasons why people um the people who aren't vegan for health actually go vegan or you know can reverse lifestyle disorders so the country did uh, start acknowledging it and the effects of that i see today because when i am invited for talks uh, you know uh, or something with the government or uh, talks with other industry bodies we realized that they are talking about, this was not the narrative before. This was not the attitude before. These were not the questions I was ever asked before, you know. Um, so it was always taken as a niche. But now yeah. I realize how they are acknowledging the fact how, uh, one, uh, being vegan is so important for sustainability. Um, and second is that how it can play a role in preventive healthcare. So okay. overall, I feel that COVID has really uh, highlighted both these aspects, sustainability and uh, preventive healthcare. And um, of course, there are some people who are sensitive to animal cruelty, but I think, um, I think that is just the younger generation. They like to call it what it is. They yeah. are not apologetic in calling veganism as veganism and, uh, you know, masking it as plant-based just to sound cooler. They want to know what it is, right? So I think, um, so I think that is Gen Z. <laughs> uh, that's not really COVID. Um, and that's amazing because vegan brands can literally thrive on that, you know? So, um, but to the older generation or so somebody who's millennials, you know, you, you talk about sustainability uh, here in India, you get people receptive. Yeah, yeah. And, and thank you so much, so much for all of those insights, you know, and obviously India is a very young country. Um, you know, when you look at the demographic profile of uh, that part of the world versus, uh, you know, aging population, even China, when you look at their you know demographic profile, they seem to be aging, um, you know, far faster than originally, you know, thought and, and uh, uh, birth rates have gone down and so on. Well, Here's the other thing. You mentioned that now people are inviting and government bodies are more open. And um, you were recently speaking uh, at the Associated Chambers of Commerce. Uh, I hear, you know, Asocham invited you to share your thoughts about, you know, veganism and preventative healthcare and so on, other things. Uh, but 
you know, uh, one fine morning, I wake up and I, I saw one of your uh, posts around vegans actually going to be a one of the product labels in India, you know, and, and that I'm just going to pull it up on our screen that the Indian regulator um, has actually prepared first ever rules for vegan food. Um, FSSAI stands for Food Safety and Standards Authority of India. And Palak, it sounds as though you had a role to play. So tell us, how did you manage that? I, I was just invited to be a part of the task force which created the guidelines and it is not law yet it's going to be law soon so right now they've just taken out the gazette and they've just opened it for public opinion and uh, they've got a lot of inputs by industry bodies um, but they do propose to make it law and uh, the I think I think it's just uh, I've been praying for this since seven years, Nizi. So I have, but I, I can tell you honestly, it's been it's been one of my deepest wishes. But I did not really contact anybody or try to do it. A lot of people, in fact, in the past, have reached out to us throughout this through, throughout these years and asked us to launch a vegan symbol or logo. It just never felt right. You know, something like that has to be acknowledged by the government. Um, yes. And I remember, you know, during the first uh, Vegan India conference, I was talking to Dr. Sisyanto, um, the chairman of World Vegan Organization, uh, who's from Indonesia. And he was talking about the laws and rules there and how they have the symbol or how the government body is involved yes. there. So it was really wishful thinking. It was like, okay, when can it happen in India? I had started researching on it early on around like, three four years ago already with and i was in talks with him but a little but it came out to be a surprise to me as well i think it's because um, see the industry is growing um, and i feel that as indians you know we see i in india we are underplaying uh, veganism because um, veganism is latent knowledge to us right gandhi was um, pro ahimsa right we already know what vegetarianism is and once you start explaining ethical vegetarianism uh, ethical vegetarians in india what vegetarianism means it's really obvious it's vegan right so yeah. uh, so here in india i think veganism literally needs no introduction we just need to remind ourselves and i feel that um, having knowing the cultural sensitivities of the population uh, you know maybe the government might have um, acknowledged that because it is a growing industry more and more brands are coming out with vegan products and you know we have gens in india we have so many people who have who follow sattvic lifestyle so imagine you know we have a green dot and a red dot but imagine people who have the same cultural values but don't take certain animal substances yeah. so um i'm not really sure about the intentions uh, you know by them but i feel that it's just the overall growth we are seeing and uh, my best guess is the same that you know i feel that uh, and that's how i like to introduce veganism to india that guys this is nothing alien <laughs> you, you know in fact i feel that you know we in have been one of the pioneers of ahimsa uh, the movement and even for that matter veganism because sattvic foods is so close to our uh, our life right another thing too so i think that 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 is what happened um talking about sattvic foods nidhi nidhi have you noticed that you know back in the day now during our grandfather's time people used to have uh, food but they never had so much milk and so much dairy then okay. in fact we didn't even have the culture of cheese right it was yeah. brought to us by the british yeah. and uh, yeah so before that 
and before that i feel people used to have milk but mostly for medicinal purposes or something like that we never had milk 24/7 or milk solids in every little product so largely we have always been dairy free and actually animal product free so yeah. um yeah. yeah you're absolutely right you know uh, uh, the national dairy development corporation of india wasn't launched until 1965 and uh, one of the big um impetuses you know uh, that was provided to the indian dairy industry as it stands at this point in time one of the largest industries in the world actually because india is the largest exporter and you know domestic producer of dairy unfortunately we we were never that and um as you rightly pointed out it is part of the colonial legacy one of the negative aspects of the colonial legacy uh that we you know having to contend with um and and what i understand from you know research that i've done is uh that the first livestock census happened in um you know the in in the early 1900s in india 1924 it was organized by the uh, then you know british government and uh they were the first to basically you know really talk about how the local the native indian cows their milk wasn't good enough for the tea that the british soldiers and and their families that were deployed in india at the time needed because even the chai culture so to speak isn't native to india you know india did not grow tea we didn't grow sugarcane uh, you know in the, to the extent that we grow at this point in time um and definitely you know indian dairy cows just weren't fertile enough to be producing higher milk yields so this whole artificial insemination programs and so on that we see uh, you know that started um and, and became like a really large cooperative movement in india didn't even start um you know until the the british basically saw this as an opportunity or as a gap in in the indian economy that they you know felt that was needed to be fulfilled um and and it's uh, pretty industry uh, interesting that they actually started with defense dairy farms and so the first ever dairy farms in india were defense dairy farms and it's it's really um you know insightful for you know people who don't know this that actually some of those defense dairy farms still continue to exist um and they were the first uh, ones that started the artificial insemination and uh, injecting yeah. hormones and and so on and then in the 1960s after the first indian you know international conflict with china but I, i believe there was a war between the two countries um that indian soldiers needed protein and you know beef was off limits because of vegetarianism um chicken was off limits and so on so the indian government basically felt dried milk powder was the way to actually get that protein to them and and that's how uh you know the anand experiment and so on received the sort of boost that it did but but anyway you're absolutely right uh veganism is not new to india we've been practicing that for years um share with us a little bit around you know you've heard these words like sattvic foods that you mentioned and vedic nutrition and um you know shakahari i mean when you use that's the word in in india in in, in hindi and in a slew of other um indian languages for vegetarianism but then it's not necessarily lacto vegetarianism right because the word shakahari literally means plant based it's like somebody who eats eats plants so yeah. so when you as a vegan 
um, you know, entrepreneur, vegan social entrepreneur in India, um, talk about veganism. How do you navigate it with, you know, people? Um, what are some of the words? What is the vocabulary that you believe works for them? Because vegan is, once again, it's, it's you know, there is British heritage involved with that too. I mean, it, they, they came up with the word uh, in 1940s, I believe. So how, how do you talk about it? Or do people get it when, when you say vegan? Actually, a lot of people do get it. And um, I don't think there's a problem in calling it vegan at all. I think uh, it's, it's good to have that demarcation. Um, yeah, I do uh, a lot of times take the reference back and saying that, you know, try to understand that vegetarian purely means vegan in its purest form. So, um, but people are quite receptive to it and people, but you know, India is a large country. You know, we have uh, most of the population is not still literate and, you know, they are still in two dire cities. So I am talking largely about urban Indians only right now. I'm not talking about uh, Indians who are in villages. And that is honestly a different tactic problem to tackle altogether. Um, I do feel that how we can influence uh, you know, those people are by um, just, uh, I think it, it could start with farmers directly, right? So people who are in uh, rural areas, uh, you know, who have slaughterhouses or who have these big, uh, you know, animal farms, I think uh, they just need to be given more subsidies to grow uh, plants and vegetables and do that right instead and uh, you know then get introduced to the subject of veganism this is yeah. for the rural areas and um, people are quite open in urban India uh, veganism is getting a lot of receptivity uh, but so are keto keto diets gluten-free diets so I think uh, today you know we are living in a global culture and there is so much rapid digitalization in India that and a lot of urban Indians are very well traveled um, you will find some of the most uh, like some of the biggest billionaires here in India. So there is a lot of wealth also that is there in the country. So given the fact that, you know, we are able to afford certain products um, and they are well-traveled and millennials do go out a lot, uh, everybody's on the internet. So I feel that veganism is not something which is alien to us anymore. Of course, when you go to countries like Kashmir, maybe, you know, where largely people don't even eat vegetables, they literally only eat meat. Um, that's, that's, those are places where veganism is still really mocked at. But if you look at the, you know, one-tire cities like Delhi, Bangalore, or even uh, cities like Pune, Chennai, uh, pretty uh, receptivity is higher now. Um, so for older people, because of whole food plant-based and, you know, the preventive healthcare, and for youngsters, mostly for uh, animals or climate change. So I think that's how it's been till now. And people are receptive. Yeah. Yeah. So, so thank you for sharing that. And, and, you know, one of the things that our viewers might not understand about India is that India's, uh, you know, multiple countries folded into one. So every region, every state has its own cuisine. So, you know, like Punjab, which is a state that, you know, both uh, Palak and I uh, hail from, you know, uh, has its own Punjabi cuisine. You referred to the state of Kashmir. They have their own Kashmiri cuisine, which is, uh, you know, Pre predominantly uh, uses a lot of meat and, um, you know, animal products, uh, unfortunately. And, and then there are some other, you know, states as well that have, uh, it's, it's a multi-regional cuisine country. So obviously talking about veganism, you've got to take just so many different cuts, 
you know, at it, right? It, it's a very yeah. beast that that India is uh, and, and has always been. So there's the urban, uh, there's urban India, there's, an, there's the middle class India that, you know, everyone talks about that upholds these values of pious vegetarianism and worships the cow and, and, and so on. Um, give I, mean, I, I know, but sorry for cutting you short. So I, I completely get where you're coming from, but you know, we are very clear in our approach. And we talk about everything, but at the end of the day, for us, it comes down to animals. Okay. And that is why, I, I mean, you know, remember in our early days when we were asked to rename ourselves as health first, it would have been so much easier, but we didn't do it. Um, you know, uh, and I feel that that is for a reason. I genuinely, intuitively, and I'm being com completely true right now, I have always felt it that there will be a time where we will, vegans will not be mocked at, where it will not be a niche. And instead of all this energy that we're putting into masking this, you know, if we just put that same energy back to just, you know, calling, saying it for what it truly is, you know, um, you will see a huge change. Gandhi didn't go and say that, hey, Ahimsa is not so popular, so let me like rephrase it and call it something else, you know, just did the right thing. So yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's what's happening. So in India, definitely, it's important to talk to different cultures in different ways. But um, for us, what works most is, you know, for just talking about that you can't kill sentient beings and you just can't. You have evolved, you know, uh, you're on your computers and your iPods, uh, you know, and your laptops and everything now. Um, but your food habits have not. So we just say it as it is. And I feel that, you know, across all countries, I genuinely feel that this should be the norm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, saying it like it is and, and calling a spade a spade and saying that, well, do it for the animals because why would you want to have, you know, murder on your hands, literally, because that's exactly what it is um, to do anything else. Um, you've been speaking at um, international you know, veg fests as well. So you had a recent talk at the veg fest in Morocco um, and uh, you have an upcoming endeavor, which is called the Himalayan Vegan Festival as well. So, so tell us a little bit about these, uh, you know, international experiences that you've had and, and some insights around, uh, you know, how uh, you're, sort of being an, uh, a veritable ambassador for India uh, and on the international vegan scene. Thanks, Nivi. I think that, you know, um, what is really important is, and that's what we've realized in our journey, is that um, value systems across human beings are largely the same. <laughs> you know, most people are compassionate. So it was super easy to connect with anybody compassionate at any corner in the world, you know, be it in India or Antarctica or Africa. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's been that's that's been one biggest uh, I think uh, backbone of the movement rather, right? Um, so that was when we we decided, hey, and I think it was when uh, the World Vegan Organization, you know, uh, approached us back in two thousand nineteen, mm -hmm. and we had intended to do a conference. They had intended to do it, and they said, hey, let's just partner and do this together. That was the first time, you know, uh, we opened our gateways to the international audience. We always wanted to do it, but in the beginning, in the early years, we were like, hey, let's just put the focus here in India. 
Um, so now I think we are in a capacity and gradually we will be, um, you know, talking and doing way more outreach globally and not just focus to India. As far as Africa is concerned, it is, you know, they have all my heart. I think, uh, you know, the organizers of the Best Fest Morocco have done an amazing job and I got to learn so much about what's happening there. And uh, again, I think it's, it's, it's definitely a country which is really underserved and we are going to be, um, you know, now covering news about Africa proactively as well. We have some ambassadors there um, and uh, we have a vegan first ambassador program where you can represent, uh, you know, yourself from different countries. And we do plan to also um, have discussions with I mean, uh, maybe support incubations and uh, other people to invest in countries like Africa, because I feel that, you know, as far as the talent is concerned or the population is concerned or the agricultural capacity is concerned, they can actually create phenomenal things which can, uh, you know, be large uh, exporters for other countries. But then um, in Africa also, you know, it's, it's how India was perhaps, uh, say, three or two, five years ago. So I feel that they will suddenly see a rise and um, because they, they still have this latent knowledge, they culturally, in the early years, they only used to not have so much meat. It was only when money started coming in that they glorify, started glorifying meat. But they said, hey, beans, proteins, pulses, I mean, beans and pulses, it's all we always use for protein and, you know, our grandparents are the healthiest. So I think that was really insightful for me as well. So, and... Um, so yeah, I think a lot of movement, our focus is vegan first is definitely on the countries which are underserved. And we're also looking at Indonesia, we're also looking at Southeast Asia. And um, I'm really excited about Nepal. It's been organized by Zach Lovers, who is the founder of Veg Voyages and um, the whole uh, WBO team in Nepal. And of course, we are also partner organizers. So we are curating the whole B2B sector with them. Um, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's just lovely to see how they're so focused on outreach that they're targeting only Bhutan and Nepal and creating awareness. In fact, um, I will share, I don't have it handy yet, but uh, one of one, Krishna, Krishna Goring has uh, sung one of the most amazing songs on veganism, which is wow. shared, uh, yeah, which is, which is featured as a full blast video, music video with a really nice, uh, yeah, and it's released on a big Nepali digital platform. So I do see very strong seeds sprouting up in these communities. And um, we obviously are very proactive in that space because when we did the Vegan India Conference in 2019, uh, that is when we realized we got a lot of audience from Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, Nepal. And these were our sister countries, you know, where the movement was just starting up at an early stage and they wanted to talk to somebody. And I think that together, you know, we can do a lot more. Absolutely. And, and, you know, um, kudos to your efforts, you know, so once you, as they say, uh, uh, you build it and they'll come, right? So once you build it, and, and you've started building this uh, portal for so many years, you're starting to see that people reaching out to you from, you know, not just India, but outside, and, and as you said, our sister countries, like Sri Lanka and Bangladesh and, you know, um, Nepal and Bhutan uh, as well. The Himalayan Vegan Festival seems like, you know, a fantastic event. Please be there. Please be there next yeah, year. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I'm just trying to understand when is it going to be and if uh, Omicron doesn't upset the party, you know, that's going to be uh, there. deciding. So they have a plan B, you know, if Omicron doesn't upset everything, then they'll go ahead with April. Otherwise, they might shift the dates. But okay. the intention is there and they're expecting a huge crowd of say 5,000 people. But again, I think, 
Yeah, we're just waiting for COVID to get over, honestly. <laughs> I know we're all, aren't we all, right? We all yeah. want the pandemic to finish. At this point in time, we're done with it. But, you know, shifting gears a little bit, um, uh, you, you're an entrepreneur, right? And, and uh, there are just so many um, women and, you know, other, uh, you know, persons who do not necessarily identify as women who are wanting to get into the vegan entrepreneurship space. And, um, and and you've mentioned that you're partnering with uh, Veg Voyages, helping with the B2B connections, and which is business to business connections, um, and, and sort of promoting all of that uh, as well. What do you think, as an entrepreneur yourself, is the most important step in entrepreneurship? I think... Um... I think you, I mean, it depends from person to person, but for me, the fundamental is, you know, my why. If I know why I'm doing something, uh, then I can go all the way. So uh, it was very important for me to know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I don't want to be just doing something which is cool or because, um, because I have, you know, some time to kill or maybe because I want to be known as an entrepreneur. Um, I don't want to be known as an entrepreneur. I never, I, I never cared about it. But I think uh, what was more exciting to me was, uh, you know, uh, why I should be give, giving significant amount of my time and energy to something. And then I, it prepares you for failure. It prepares you for success. It prepares you for everything. Uh, you know, your um, the fundamentals of entrepreneurship and even social entrepreneurship, right, should be that. Um, your balance sheets, the market opportunities, uh, you know, your MVP, then your positioning or uh, your business model, it's figure outable, guys. It can change, it can evolve, but what will carry you further will be your why, right? So um, say, for instance, we want to create awareness about veganism, right? Say Vegan First doesn't work out, you know, this publication just fails, you know, for instance. Um, I won't really care so much. I mean, I would care, I would be devastated, but after a point, I will not because I, I would try to see another opportunity where I can grow the vegan movement because my why is really focused and it's really clear. So I think if you have that in any industry, you know, be it um, an automobile industry or be it uh, your vision statement should not be something which limits you. It should be something which resonates with your heartbeat. You yeah. know, so yeah, like Matt Monji says, his his vision is adding value to people and to earth. Like I want to add value more. I want to give back more than what I have taken in my life. So if you know the mechanics, you, you know, you're easily you're flexible. So, and especially in this time that we live in, it's such a dynamic, such a challenging time. Entrepreneurship anyway is super difficult. So, um, you know, uh, you have to be able to be flexible. You have to flow like water. And then what takes you forward? And if you just rely on accountants or investors or business plans, or you you start doubting your own capabilities, you know, sometimes maybe you have done everything perfectly right, everything you've done right, and the odds just didn't work in your favor. Look at COVID, classic example. But if you if your purpose was clear, you would be able to navigate, you know. So I think um, any form of entrepreneurship is just really important to know your why and keep moving and evolving year after year. It could turn out to be something else completely. But as long as you're true to your vision and your purpose, you will still have added value. You would yeah. still have had a very fulfilled, contented life. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful thoughts there, Palak. Thank you so much for sharing. And um, you're absolutely right. Starting with your why, 
and understanding why you're doing something, what is your purpose, what is something that resonates, as you said, with your heart, you know, uh, and, and that kind of gumption and, and conviction is what we need, um, especially during a pandemic. Um, initially, you know, when you were talking, you were talking, you were mentioning um, you were a sculptor, you're an artist, and, and you were teaching in a school. And so what, what kind of teaching were you doing? Were you teaching young kids or, or were you teaching adults how to, you know, sculpt and... Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, I was a fine artist. I was teaching fine arts itself. And I have taught all age groups. Uh, I was specializing in grade 10, uh, board exam, CBSE, ICSC for fine arts. But um, over the course of my short teaching career, I have had all types of students of all ages. Um, and... Um, yeah, I did enjoy, uh, you know, the adults more, <laughs> way more, because, you know, you could really go. I mean, I love children, genuinely. I just find so much peace and comfort around them, you know. Uh, so I do miss uh, younger students also. Some of the best, in fact, you know, more than teaching them, I used to learn from them. Yeah. Because they're so flexible. They live in the present moment. You give them a theme, they come up with something crazy. And I realize I'm supposed to be the creative one, <laughs> you know, here. So I think uh, that's yeah. what I really enjoy with uh, children. And I, I do miss that. But uh, whenever I, I find children around me, I just start playing with them. So um, but, but teaching, teaching is, you know, it actually happened to me. I was on my terrace and I used to sketch. We, we, as artists, we, we, we had to... Are uh, you know when bodybuilders you have to do weightlifting on a daily basis, right? Or as athletes you have to run. As artists we just had to sketch. That that was our practice. So I was on my terrace sketching one day, and there was a, a special child, um, you know, peeping into my balcony from next door. And she used to come every morning and just peep into the the, the terrace. And then she used to see me sketch. And then one day her mother came over to my house, knocked on my door, and said, "You will." teach my child uh, how to how to sketch she doesn't talk to anybody she's uh, you know a little challenged that way and um and I, I rejected it I said I don't I don't teach and I don't have the time or the inclination or the interest so I was just in college at the time I was myself a student so I just said no then she literally blackmailed me you know she's like no no she doesn't talk to anybody she doesn't connect to anybody else you have to do it and I, I was just you know sometimes I I struggled to say no to things and I, I, you know, caved into it and I said, all right. And then that's the process. Uh, then it never stopped. Yeah. And how do you talk to uh, children about veganism if you do? It's, it's the easiest to talk to children. Really? Tell us yeah. a in the whole planet. I think if there is somebody who is receptive to veganism, it's actually children. Nothing. You just have to tell them for what it is. You just have to say, hey, if I if I tie you up and if I force you know to take something from you, would you like it? Children are so much more empathetic. In an instant, I can't tell you how many children. And you know, the the uh, I have met children at family weddings, and I've just had a simple conversation with them over tea when everybody's running and dancing and all that. They remember and they come back. After six months, they will come and talk to me about the same thing, the impact with children. Whereas if you, the same conversation, if you had with an adult, you know, the next morning they've forgotten about everything. They don't even care. They're insensitive and probably they'll end up making fun of you, you know. So um, children, I think it's the easiest to, uh, you know, talk. All you have to do because they already are very pure. They have a high level of conscience. And that's all you have to say. 
that you know at the end of the day if you will not want to do this to yourself and it's not really about veganism honestly in a way it's anybody right um be it exploiting a man or a woman or a tree or a plant or an animal you know i think that's what we really need to lead by example as far as children is concerned and it's not always easy um because sometimes we do get angry or we do get impulsive but if as much as possible if you can lead by example children just absorb that themselves yeah. and um, yeah and i don't feel that we should just make veganism into a you know for the lack of a better word cult and say hey you have to go vegan we need to just tell them that look as responsible citizens or as um, you know somebody who is sent, like as a human being we just need to be sensitive to all life Yeah. not just animals for that matter but human lives as um you know you know you should not see a difference between a girl or a boy or for that matter you know a plant or a food and just be grateful so um i think that if we can have that holistic conversation with children um because even a lot of vegans themselves you know are really lost because all we do is fight about veganism how to promote it right so i think that if we can just present a more holistic um point of view to uh, children then we are looking at a stable generation right and and you um mentioned a really important point it's it's the importance of acknowledging the intersectionality of the movement you know there're just so many overlaps uh you've mentioned um you know just the sheer humanity yeah of, right it's not it's it, well for lack of a better word you use the word veganism because you've got to use a word to describe a, a yeah. way of life but then in the end it uh, it it's rolled into you know uh, on into itself just so many other things like women's empowerment you know uh, sentient rights women's rights because when you look at um most of these sentient beings that are being exploited are mother cows and and their mother hens and and their you know so it's sort of inseparably woven into that feminine um you know acknowledging the divine feminine you know of the planet and the biome uh you've spoken about how innocent children are and they haven't yet developed those layers of social conditioning and labels labels of boxing themselves i am a vegan i am a feminist i i am i'm just a human being you know right yeah 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 and and that seems to be a liberating way to approach it yeah you know because um uh, i i'm just i was so shocked when vegans fight with each other um, you know i have very strong spiritual beliefs but i agree to disagree and i really respect somebody who's an atheist because we all are humans first you know so i don't for me doesn't even matter you know but this these are the little and very petty things that we judge people on uh, you know uh, and i think uh, that is what's the whole point of you know promoting goodness if you it just backfires right and labels i am never going to fan of labels that's why i said like you know you you're calling me an entrepreneur but for the sake of a word i have to call myself but hey i'm also directed films i'm also an artist maybe i'm none of that so how we box ourselves you know and that gives us an identity and more pressure to live a live up to and um in the end we don't we can't agree to disagree and respect another's opinion you know um so i think uh if we really want a strong generation we want them like really away from all this load of crap <laughs> for the lack of a better word. <laughs> you know all right okay well thank you so much for that really 
um, energetic, optimistic, empowering conversation, Palak, you know, um, in, in the end, if there was a message that you had for, you know, not just vegans, but also non-vegans out there who are potentially watching this and, and who are maybe sitting on the fence, who haven't taken the plunge yet, and they're yet to make arguably what you and I know is probably the most important decision of their life, you know, what to fuel yourself with, what would that message be? I would say that, you know, be, be true to yourself, uh, go within, um, understand, take time to understand. Um, and once you do, but um, we are living in a time where me and mine does not work anymore. No, me and mine just do not. And our food choices are very closely related to that. Uh, if we are still... If we are still unsustainable in our thinking, if we are not looking at a circular economy, if we are not looking at vegan foods, it's no longer really a taboo. But as a planet, we have come to a point where this whole me and mine philosophy will not work. So we all in our own ways, uh, including me, by the way, I'm still very much on the journey and I have made a lot of mistakes and I'm still learning and growing every day. But that's what, you know, really fuels me. It works for me. I hope it works for you, um, you know, because uh, being vegan is not enough. Um, you be vegan, then you level up, you realize, all right, not me and mine. Then you level up again and you realize what else can I do? Then you really level up and you realize, hey, I'm just a vegan, I'm sitting in a city, but I'm not actually growing and planting trees. I'm not really helping the earth. So, you know, there's a lot of work for us as humanity to do, do in general. So um, being vegan does not make you any superior, you know. Uh, I think uh, approach it from a more holistic point of view. And then you realize that it's just a journey of becoming better. And that holds true for all of us. So if you can, we all can embark on that journey, you know, hold hands and uh, keep evolving. It'll be great. And there's a lot of supports. There are fantastic vegan alternatives available. It's never been easier, honestly. And the planet needs you. You know, the animals yeah. need you. So yeah. Palak, thank you so much for being with us today. And it's been a pleasure. It always is a pleasure to interact with you, to talk to you, and to hear such amazing wisdom and, and with such great, you know, delivered with such great energy. I, I always walk away so rejuvenated. Thank you so much for being with us. And here's the message. Go vegan first. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Livy. It's a, such a pleasure to having uh, you know to talk to you always. You have the most amazing open heart, and uh, thanks once again. Thank you, and uh, to all our viewers, we will see you um, another time, another month, and with yet another brilliant episode with yet another vegan. All right, you take care, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.